Psalm 130. Now, in the weeks before Christmas, you won't see, or you won't just see an increase in the traffic. Is it just me? You won't just see an increase in your assignment deadlines, or an increase in your spending, or even perhaps your blood pressure. Lots of increases. But here's the other thing. You might find your emotions are higher and increased at this time of year, a little bit more exposed than usual. And if that's the case for you, if you're finding those emotions increased, and even if you're not a bother, you might find that pre-Christmas state of mind is a really good opportunity. Think about it. If your emotions are heightened, there's a great opportunity to reflect. So I want to invite you to reflect on the profound difference it makes that Almighty God sent Jesus Christ to be born a man the very first Christmas. So that's my invitation. Whatever heightened state of your emotions, I want you to reflect on the difference it made. See, whenever I'm feeling things a bit more intensely, and also at the same time maybe realizing my limitations, can I get it all done for the Christmas? This is something, this time, that can help me to grasp the significance of God's remarkable move in history. Listen to this. God's remarkable move in history to put things right. Now, the words of this prayer, Psalm 130, could even form a basis for your own prayers this year. A prayer that expresses, firstly, have a look, a cry from the depths, verses 1 and 2. Have a look at those lines. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. It's quite a heartfelt prayer, isn't it? Now, biblically speaking, men and women find themselves in the depths. The depths, it's a picture, isn't it? A picture of near despair. You can't get out. Now, the news this year, just gone, gave us the tragic picture of a submarine headed into the depths, lost to the cold and the darkness. It was awful. Now, it's from that kind of floundering depths in Psalm 130 that we hear this cry. A cry to who, though? Verse 1, to the Lord. A cry for mercy, verse 2. Now, listen again, and we're all listening in on this SOS call. We get a sense of the agonizing trouble faced by this individual in this song that's been recorded, this prayer. Now, it's not recorded here, but if there were earlier attempts by this person to work out a self-rescue, they haven't worked, have they? Which is the point the Bible makes consistently again and again. Self-help is no help. That's what the Bible says. Self-help is no help. It's as futile as a submariner deep under the sea putting on a life jacket. Self-help is no help. But what exactly is the problem? Well, have a look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. What's the problem? Well, in a word, iniquities, but that's a word that's a little bit distant, distant from us. 
We're not too familiar with the word iniquities. To put it another way, this person has realized they have a burden, a very, very heavy backpack. No, a whole outfit that's heavy, and that's a burden of guilt. From time to time, I've heard people say that guilt is something that the church puts on people. And if it were not for religion, people would be free of any kind of guilt. People sometimes say that, don't they? It's just that church putting guilt on you. Now, I know that in the past, a lot, a lot of damage and upset has been caused by people, to people, by people in, in positions of religious leadership. I know that. People who have used guilt as a weapon, and that, of course, is despicable. But here you see the depths the Bible's talking about is a burden that men and women carry by default. It's a burden. Depths. The writer hasn't been manipulated into feeling guilty. They seem to have an awareness of a burden that's shared by every single person. This is the, the Bible's view of humanity. Every single person. And this writer, this one person says, who could stand? In other words, not one person could stand if the Lord, the rightful judge, and that's the tone here, if the Lord was to point out our iniquities, our sins, nobody could stand. That's the biblical view of humanity coming at us from Psalm 130. And this view recognizes that even the best people, and I know some lovely people, I'm sure you do, but even the best people are deeply flawed. Um, you'll, you'll see it around the Christmas table in a few weeks. Even the best people are deeply flawed. So deeply flawed, in fact, so sinful, they're at a depth that can't be sorted by themselves alone. That's the problem. Now, no sooner is that awful problem diagnosed, well, have a look. The writer sees the stunning solution. Now, this is a turn in the psalm. In case you thought it was all dark December. Well, no, look at verse 4. The writer says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Forgiveness. There's the light. From the depths of dark December, there's a real glimmer of hope now. Despite the depths of sin and guilt, the Lord's mercy is found. Do you remember he, it was a cry for mercy in that verse, early on, verse 2? Well, from that cry for mercy, there's the Lord's forgiveness. Forgiveness that's within reach. Forgiveness that's not at the surface but forgiveness that's at reach as people see their predicament and park their self-help and cry out to the Lord for His mercy. Crying from the depths, recognizing the problem of sin and guilt, and then it comes like a relief, the hope of God's forgiveness. Well, look what happens next. The writer resolves to wait. Now, I'm not very good at waiting. I'm told I'm an impatient by nature, Perhaps you are too. But this writer is waiting. What does that mean? Have a look at verse 5 here. He writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. There's a longing here for the Lord. Thirdly. And you see, from the depths and the isolation of sin and guilt the writer learns that the Lord can be trusted with his greatest problems. You know the relief you feel 
when you find someone that actually gets your problem. You might have found that in a GP or someone, maybe a partner, who listens and actually gets you. Well, the writers found that. The Lord knows. The Lord can solve this. And it's amazing what happens. The Lord can be trusted more than anything else. And that's what comes over here in this idea of waiting for the Lord, waiting and hoping the Lord can be trusted with your greatest problems. In this third movement in the prayer, there's a longing too. And it's a longing that resolves, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to take Him at His word. Look at the end of of verse 5. In His word, I hope, His promise. What has God said? Well, I'm going to trust it. There's a resolve here, having seen what this writer has experienced. And if you were to ask them, what are you waiting for? Maybe they're in a room and have you ever been in a waiting room? And Well, I think it's pretty obvious if you're in the dentist what they're waiting on. But have you ever asked someone, what are you waiting on? Well, if you were to ask this writer of Psalm 130, what are you, you waiting on? What would they answer? Well, they could repeat the start of verse 5 and the start of verse 6. That's probably the answer, isn't it? I will wait on the Lord. I'll wait on the Lord to keep His promise. And this isn't the kind of waiting that's It might happen or it might not. This is a waiting that seems to say, this is going to happen. I'm going to wait for the Lord. From these depths, I need the Lord's act of rescue. And there's something else repeated as well as the the start of verse 5 and the start of verse 6. There's another repeat, and you'll have have heard it as we read it, as Anna read it earlier. More than watchmen for the morning, verse 6. More than watchmen for the morning. That's a really powerful picture. We might not have watchmen these days, but watchmen who can finish their duty. Why? Because the morning has come. It's a brilliant picture. Watching, watching, and as soon as the light comes, they can, they can go home. They're finished. Watchmen waiting on the morning that will certainly come. Will the morning might come? No, it certainly will come. As sure as, well, as day follows night, the morning will come. No matter how dark the night, no matter how endless it feels, the light of the dawn is on its way, and the writer's hope is even stronger than that. Look what he says, more than watchmen for the morning. And we know that watchmen know the the light is coming, and yet this is more. Do you know what we're reading here in the Bible? This isn't just deep, unrequited longing. It's not just a long longing that we just have to sigh through. No, no, there's confidence here. Confidence in the Lord that's growing as a prayer continues. Do you have that confidence in the Lord if you're a Christian? Do you have a confidence in the Lord that grows? A deep assurance that the Lord will act and the Lord can and should be trusted. I hope you're starting to to grow in that kind of confidence. Now, the setting for the last part, the last stanza, the last verse of this prayer is no longer the dark depths. Have a look, the last couple of verses. The dawn has broken. Morning has broken. Did you ever sing that? Morning has broken. Well, that's exactly what's about to start in these last couple of verses from 7. The Lord, you see, will save his people from sins. Have a look from verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There's confidence there. 
Someone who was once so near to death and despair can turn and invite everyone to have the same hope. And you can see how it's turned now, isn't it? There's an invitation going on. Remember, this hope isn't pale or wistful or I wish the morning might come. This is a rock-solid hope. Hope, remember, and do you remember what we've seen? It's not self-help, which as it turned out was in fact no help. This hope was in the Lord, who has what? Verse 4, forgiveness. And now we learn his steadfast love, plentiful redemption. Now I reckon you'll have spotted it. But why is verse 8 a particularly Christmas verse? I know you'll have seen it. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Why is that Christmas? Well, you see this final confidence that the Lord will act to save his people from their sins. Now, that might just be the refrain that we've repeated nearly every week since August. He will save his people from their sins. God saves. Call his name Jesus. That's what that name means. God saves. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Just read it again. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1. A message from an angel to Joseph about the child to be born to Mary. Have a look. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I think it's remarkable that there was assurance even long before the first Christmas. People who hoped in the Lord knew that God would step in to rescue His sin, guilt-burdened people. And for the writer of Psalm 130, they could put their hope in the Lord and wait on Him and wait on His salvation. Many of the prophets said the same thing. Trust the Lord. He can be trusted. Look at His promises. Don't let them go. The morning's coming. And what did that assurance become? Well, you can see it in, in the movements of Psalm 130. It became a declaration. That's one word for verses 7 and 8, isn't it? Let's put it another way. It became a Christmas song. Verses 7 and 8 are a Christmas carol. A Christmas carol not just to sing to ourselves, but who's it for? Have a look. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's steadfast love. There's plentiful redemption. And He will free them. He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Well, the lyrics of the song say, I was in the depths until God rescued me. The Lord who, remember, He forgives. The Lord of steadfast, that is committed, covenant love. The Lord who has plentiful redemption. In other words, this is the Lord who has freedom in abundance, freedom that can have your name on it, your address on it, and can arrive at your place in time for Christmas. Freedom for everyone who will take God at His word. The Lord who sent Jesus, God rescues, to redeem His people from their sins. How many Christmas songs did you hear this week? Here's one. War is over. But it's not, is it? Just look at the world. 
Some Christmas songs are lovely, but the lyrics just don't cut it. War is over? How can I sing that this year? The Christmas songs, though, that, that share what God has done by sending Jesus, now they have the potential to change lives. Not because they're good melodies or they're fun to sing, but because of who they point to, who's worth hoping in and waiting for and talking about. So I'd love to ask you to remember this prayer and make it your own this Christmas. And then remember all those carols about Jesus that we're going to sing. Do you know what they are? Christmas carols are songs for submariners. That's what they are. Songs for submariners who were lost in the depths, almost despairing, until God sent his son to save his people from their sins. I'd love to invite you to sing now and then invite your friends to hear about him too. Let me invite the musicians to come up. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you that just as your word says it, you are trustworthy. You can be trusted. Even the writer of Psalm 130 knew that you were trustworthy, could sing about how you'd rescued, not from all the problems in their lives, but from the greatest one, the one of their sin and their guilt. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you did act in history. You sent your Son. Father, thank you that this is our song too. Those of us who have accepted Christ, taken you at your word. Well, Father, would you give us that song this Christmas to sing that you have saved your people and that includes me. And if it doesn't yet include me, Father, thank you that there's a parcel of hope on the way to my address. Father, help me to open it this year, not to leave it wrapped, and help me to take you at your word and to see the difference it makes as the dawn breaks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you will stand and sing and sometimes songs, we need to keep singing them, don't we? So that we can sing them. And, and each of the songs we sang this morning, we're going to sing again at four o'clock with some others. And so would you sing loudly if this describes you? And if it doesn't, would you listen to the lyrics as you sing? Because these are songs, all of which point to the Lord Jesus who saved his people from their sins. And this one's a little bit different because it's a longing song. Come thou long expected Jesus. Remember the writer of Psalm 130? They knew, though, that God would keep his promise. And we can know that God will one day send the Lord Jesus to return, to one day bring all his people with him. So would you stand and sing, Come thou long expected Jesus. <laughs> 